<laughs> What's going on? What is happening, my friends? How is your afternoon? How is your evening? For some of you, how is your morning? Those of you uh, maybe watching in Australia. <laughs> Good afternoon, everybody. Kind of a slow news day. I thought I would jump on here and uh, give a few people some encouragement and challenge a few belief systems and maybe tip over a few sacred cows. How's that sound? Barbecue some sacred cows before we have dinner tonight. Uh, guten Tag from uh, Deutschland. Good night, mates in Australia. Uh, you're in Surprise, Arizona. I'm not surprised. <laughs> North Carolina. How's the heat in Arizona? It's very hot. It's uh, about 110 today. Uh, but it's a dry heat, so we're good. <laughs> All right. Wanted to uh, share some thoughts with you. So, obviously, since Q has been silent for the last few weeks, uh, and I have not been, <laughs> look, Q is going to come back on the board. I think when we get declassification of the documents and we get the Inspector General report, we get all this, this information coming out, I expect our friend Q to return and have a lot to say, and I am enjoying the break. Uh, I miss Q a little bit too, but I'm enjoying the break because I have things I got to work on. I'm doing writing books and uh, doing some other things. And in the meantime, I get to talk to you about, uh, you know, my perspectives on God, my experiences with God. And uh, for those of you who are agnostic, atheist, uh, skeptical, un unbelievers, not sure about God, what you believe about God, that's cool. I invite everybody to come on my broadcasts and hang out, listen, talk, chat, whatever. Uh, I, um, I, I've been getting some messages from people who, and, and this is pretty common when I talk about my experiences with God, they say, well, I don't think God would ever have those kind of experiences with me. Because I don't think God even really likes me. And you're probably someone special, and you're probably, um, you know, maybe you're God's favorite. Maybe God has a special thing with you that he wouldn't do that with me. Well, I just want to let you know. Uh, yeah, God is... Uh, God, first thing you need to know about God is that God's ways are not like our ways. Okay? The Bible says... As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways above our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. All right? So here is, <laughs> you are his favorite, Mary. He told me the same thing. He said, Mary's my favorite kid. A, a lot of us have grown up in family situations where our parents maybe barely tolerated us. Maybe our parents were annoyed by us or irritated by the things we did or the things we said or they never really paid attention to us or they didn't take us seriously. A lot of us had parents who weren't very good parents. Let's just be honest. And a lot of us have perspectives about God that are, that are rooted in the way we were treated by our parents or other family members. 
And if you are a person who was ignored or marginalized or rejected by your family, friends, and relatives, there is a good chance you may have some thoughts that God maybe rejects you like everybody else does. Like maybe you're really kind of irrelevant and not important. And, you know, if your family doesn't care about you, why would the creator of the universe care about you? Right? So a, a lot of us derive our perspectives on God from the way we were treated. We've been treated our whole life. <laughs> we just think, look, you know, if nobody else cares about me, why would God care about me? All right. Now, I, I want to just challenge you a little bit. And I'm going to read from Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1 has always been kind of special to me. And when I read it, if you know my history, you'll know why Jeremiah 1 is, is special to me. All right, this is his testimony. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Therefore I formed you in the womb. I'm sorry, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. Now, get what the prophet is saying here. He says, God told him, God told him Jeremiah, told me, before I created you, I knew you, hmm. and before you were born, I sanctified, I set you apart, and I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. So, however you want to read this, God had a calling, a purpose, and a destiny for Jeremiah before he was born. God said to Jeremiah, before you were born, I had a plan. I had a purpose and a destiny for you, and it was to be a prophet to the nations, to take my word and tell those people my, my heart for them, my plans, to speak to them on my behalf. That was his plan. That was God's plan for Jeremiah, and Jeremiah is now just finding it out. So Jeremiah says, and then I said, hey, Lord, wait, 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 no, not me. Uh, I'm, no. Uh, Lord, uh, I can't speak to them. I'm just a child. And the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a child, for you shall go to all whom I have sent you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand, and he touched my mouth, and he said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build up and to plant. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me again, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? All right, so the Lord shows Jeremiah a vision. And he asked Jeremiah, hey, I'm showing you a vision. Tell me what you see. And Jeremiah said, I see the branch of an almond tree. And the Lord said, you have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. So the Lord tells Jeremiah, okay, yes, you've seen the almond tree correctly. That's the vision I showed you. Here's what it means. It means <laughs> that I am watching over my word to perform it. That's what that vision of the almond branch means. All right. Then the word of the Lord came to me and said a second time, what do you see? So the Lord gave him another vision. And Jeremiah said, I see a boiling pot. It's facing 
away from the north. And then the Lord said to me, so he said, Out of the north calamity shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord. They shall come and each one set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls and all around and against the cities of Judah. So the Lord showed Jeremiah a vision of a boiling pot. Jeremiah said, I see a boiling pot. And the Lord said, you saw correctly. Here's what it means. He interpreted the vision. Now, all of this is to say that Jeremiah, prior to that time, didn't know he was going to be a prophet. He did not know he was going to speak, be speaking the word of the Lord to the world for God, on God's behalf. He had no idea that that's what he was called to do. He had no idea that was his destiny. He's like, hey, I'm just a kid. Who am I to talk to these people? They're not going to listen to me. And the Lord said, they are going to listen to you. Don't be afraid of them. This is my divine destiny and my purpose for you. Now, Jeremiah was just like anybody else. He's just like you. He's just like your neighbor. He's just like your husband or wife. And he's just like your kids. Jeremiah was just another person minding their own darn business, wondering if God had any kind of plan, purpose, destiny for them. And then all of a sudden, one day, boom, like that, Jeremiah learns what his destiny, his calling is, what his gifting is. He is going to be seeing visions. God's going to be interpreting the visions and sending him out to give messages to the world. All right. Every single one of you is sort of like Jeremiah. All of you. Before you were born, God had ordained and des- you, and he has given you a destiny. And he has planned for your life something great, a bunch of things that are great that he wants to do through you. The question is, do you know what he wants to do with you? That's the question. Now, um, I get this message all the time from people. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what my plan, what God's plan is for my life. I don't know what God wants me to do. I really don't understand it. I have met a lot of people who have died, gone to heaven, wanted to stay there, and met Jesus, and he said, you can't stay here. You have to go back. Your purpose on earth is not done yet. And they came back in their body. And some of those people still did not know what their purpose was. Here's the thing. God has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you. He has a destiny. He has gifts. He has talents. He has, he has given you unique abilities and talents to do the things that he has, he has called you to do. And your destiny and your purpose is largely tied to those gifts, those talents and abilities and desires. The Bible says he gives you the desires of your heart. Now, a lot of people read that and say, oh, he's going to give me a million dollars and a Ferrari because that's a desire of my heart. Well, there's another way to interpret that verse. When it says he gives you the desires of your heart, it could mean he puts in your heart the desires and passions that you have. Why? Because your passions and your desires drive you toward your destiny. All right. I have always liked writing. I've always enjoyed writing, writing letters to my family, writing letters to people, writing articles, writing, I just have communicated through the world through writing. 
it's always been kind of a weird passion desire that I've had, but I never ever thought about being an author. I never thought about being a writer, never considered it. When I was in my 20s, I became a paramedic, and I just thought I'll be a paramedic the rest of my life. And when I got to be a little over 50, Denise challenged me. She said, you know, all you ever do is write. Like when you're not at work on the ambulance, you come home and you write all day long. You're writing articles, you're writing blog posts, you're writing uh, notes on Twitter, you're corresponding. All you do is write. You write, 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 write. Day after day, that's all you do. She's like, why don't you consider writing a book? <laughs> I thought that was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard. Like, why would anyone want to be an author? It just sounds really boring. I, I don't want to be an author. I never thought about it, never considered it. Didn't see myself as a writer. She talked to me over the next year. And I looked at my writing habit, and I looked at my love and my passion for writing and communicating through writing. And she finally convinced me to write my first book. And then I wrote another book, and then I wrote another book, and another one, and another one, and another one, and another one. Now we have 12 books published. I never in my life suspected that God actually called me to be a writer. Until I was like 51 years old. Again, all of that is to say, <clears throat> God has a plan and a purpose for you. He has a destiny. He has a calling. And sometimes you are absolutely just blind to it. You don't know it. You don't know it because you have accepted something less than your destiny, less than your calling. I worked as a paramedic because it paid the bills. Uh, toward the end of my career, I hated doing it. I just... <clears throat> it, was, it was so stressful. I wasn't making much money. I was working for a terrible company. Uh, I didn't trust the management team. Uh, I was good. I was able to do the work. I just, I just hated doing it. It didn't give me any joy at all. And I did it for 35 years. It was very stressful. And, you know, I, I was a good medic as far as skills go and knowledge. But at the end of, at the, end of the day... It was so stressful, um, I'd many times thought about quitting. And it wasn't until I had some books published when I actually decided, I'm done with this. I'm, I was ready to be done with it five years earlier. And when I quit my job as a paramedic and decided to be a full-time writer, I, I, I have not looked back. I never wanted to have my own business. I never wanted to have my own company, be my, be my own boss, have my own business. That thought always terrified me. But Denise had had her own business before we got married. And she knew about running a business. And she's kind of an entrepreneur. And she said, look, I know about book design. I've had my own business. Let's just have our own book publishing company. We'll self-publish books and we'll see if it works. And for a couple of years, we did that and it worked. And pretty soon, before you know, I, I, we have our own book publishing company. We, I'm my own boss. I set my own hours. And I love my life. I absolutely love it. I wouldn't want to do anything else. All the things that I thought I would have feared, having my own business, being my own boss, and working full-time as an author, 10 years ago, absolutely foreign, would have terrified me. I would have said, no way, 
I'm doing them now, and I'm abs I've never been happier in my life. And here's the thing. I, I settled for working as a paramedic because it paid the bills. And a lot of you are doing the same thing. A lot of you have settled for a job instead of your destiny. You settled for something that pays the bills. You settled for something that is easy to do. Denise did the same thing. Denise worked as a graphic designer for years because it paid the bills. She should have been painting. <laughs> she should have been painting paintings the whole time and working as an artist because that's what her passion, her love is painting. But she settled and she compromised and she worked in graphic design. Now, her graphic design skills helped her, but ultimately she knows that she compromised. And so did I. And so have a lot of us, other people. And, and here's the thing. So your destiny, your calling, your gifting, and your talents and your passions can be found out by answering this one question that I ask people. If money was no object, all right, you wake up one morning and you have $10 million in your bank account or $500 million in your bank account. You wake up tomorrow and you have $500 million in your bank account. You never have to, again, go in and clock into that stupid job that you hate. Money is no object and now time is no object. What are you going to do with the next one year of your life? What are you going to do? Because you can do anything. I asked my son that question. He's a financial planner. He has a, a degree in finance and a degree in uh, marketing. And he works for a company and he does financial planning. And I asked him that. I said, dude, you, you wake up one morning and you got $5 million in your bank account. What would you do? He said, easy. I'd quit my job and I'd finish writing my novel. <laughs> My son wants to be a writer too, just like me. But he's not doing it. He is working as a financial planner because it pays the bills. He doesn't think he could make a living as a writer. I think he could. And I, think, I hope one day that he, he does. But right now he's compromising and he's working as a financial planner because he doesn't believe he could make a living as a, writing, as a writer. And that's what a lot of us do. We think we don't have the money we can't pay the bills. What I would really love to do is to do this, but I'm paying the bills, so I'm doing that instead. And your destiny and your calling is tied up in your passion. It's what you love to do. If you could do anything, if you had all the money, if you had no worries about money or time or resources, what is the one thing you would really want to do more than anything else? That is closely tied to your divine purpose, your destiny. It is your passion. It's what you love doing. And, um, and I would say this. <laughs> if you think that God doesn't care about you, you're wrong. God loves you, cares about you, and has a plan for you. And if you don't think he does, you have been listening to the enemy. You've been listening to a voice that is a liar. God is, a friend of mine used to say this, he is a, an omniscient insomniac with ADD. God is omniscient, he knows everything. He's an insomniac because he never sleeps. 
and he has ADD because he'll talk to you about a million things at the same time. Uh, God is such a chatterbox. He is continually talking to you. If you're not hearing God talking to you, it's because you have not learned how to tune into the frequency uh, uh, that he's speaking. And you can do that. It's not hard to do. Uh, look, I was an atheist. I never had a vision, never had a dream, never heard God's voice uh, until 2008. Since 2008, everything's been different for me. I hear God's voice all the time. And I'm not someone special. I'm not a special person. I'm not some unique, gifted, anointed person. I'm just an average guy, like everybody. If you want to have dreams from God, get around people who are dreaming and read some books on dream interpretation. If you want to see people healed, get around healers and talk to them and learn from them and see what they do. If you want to do anything, get around people that are doing it. And it'll, it, you sort of, a lot of this is more caught than, than it is taught. You just get around people that are doing it and it happens. But uh, it, I would just encourage you to stop believing that God doesn't have a plan for you because he does. And God does care about you. And you are his favorite kid. Whether you know it or not, whether you accept it or not, you are God's favorite kid. Uh, he loves you. He is crazy about you. And he wants to draw you into a relationship where he can tell you about your destiny. He can tell you about his plans for you. He can show you the things he wants to do. He can show you the resources that he has planned for you. You know, Blake Healy, uh, I interviewed him on a podcast uh, about a year ago, and he just republished a book called The Veil. If you're interested in things that people can see in the spiritual world, uh, Blake Healy's book, The Veil, is amazing. Uh, it is, it is a really amazing, and he wrote a second book. Uh, I got a, they asked me if he wanted to do a podcast with him for the second book. I haven't gotten back to them yet. But in this book, there's a scene that he talks about. Blake has gone to a lot of churches. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think Blake is teaching at Bethel in Atlanta. Um, anyway, he's talking about this vision that he saw. He's at this church one time and he's speaking there. And in the church, he sees in a vision all kinds of gold and money and provision all over this church that are just laying everywhere. And he was like, he was stunned because he said this church was like the richest church on earth that he'd ever seen. There was money, stacks of gold, money piled everywhere. It was just, there was tons of provision that God had given this church that they had not accessed. The church was living as a, as a poor church. No one there really had any money. No one really felt financially blessed. But Blake saw in the spirit that this church, that God had, in fact, spiritually blessed them. They couldn't access it for some reason, they, or they had not figured out how to access it. Now, Denise and I were talking the other night, and I was, I, I was thinking about this vision that Blake described, about how God has provided so much more, exceedingly abundantly more, than we can ask or think. All right. So the Bible says, He exceeds our needs, He exceeds our wishes, He can, ex he can provide exceedingly abundantly more than we can ask, think, or imagine. 
And Blake saw in this church God's ability to provide. What he also saw was their inability to receive it. Now, I was listening to this YouTube video the other day of this woman, young woman who, she uh, was a single mom, dirt poor, had no money, and ended up marrying this pastor. And they were poor as could be. They were scraping by to, to make ends meet. And this young woman always had this dream of owning a farm, of owning a really nice farm with chickens and animals. And she just always thought it was a dream that would never come true. It would never happen because, because it was just something that she could not really believe God wanted her to have this farm. She just couldn't believe that. Until one day, God opened a door. The book is called The Veil. God opened a door of opportunity for her and her husband to get this farm at a very cheap price, uh, way cheaper than it should have been, and they walked into this opportunity, and it wasn't like the perfect farm right away. It took her years to go through and create the raised bed gardens and do all the things that she wanted to do and repair the fencing and all that. But she's, she did this video, YouTube video, from her farm. And she just talked, she was like, she was goo goo gaga over how amazing it was that God had provided exactly what she wanted in her dream, in her vision, that she wanted this farm. And she had, it was exactly the way she wanted. And she said, here's the thing. I had to receive it by faith. I had, to st I had to renew my mind to the truth and start trusting and believing that God was actually going to make this thing happen. She said that the change came when I decided in my mind that God did want me to have a farm and, it was, and he, that was his promise. He gave me this passion to have this farm because he wanted me to have the farm. And if he wanted me to have the farm, then the problem, this was standing in the way of it, was my inability to receive it. I could not conceive of him actually letting me get this farm. So she said, I had to change my mind. I had to change my thinking and receive his promise. And as she said, as soon as I did, that's when the door started opening. And I think a lot of us are missing out on the opportunities that God wants to give us, on the blessings, on the adventures that God wants to give us. Because we have a hard time believing that he actually wants to do it. Right? I mean, if you look through Hebrews chapter 11, for example, <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11 is the Hall of Fame of Faith. And it is an, it's an interesting study. If you, if you want to look at and observe how people, average people, receive God's promises how they received God's promises, and how they walked into their destiny, read Hebrews chapter 11. It's really good. By faith, Abel offered God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained a witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through, through it, through the testimony, he who is dead still speaks. Do you know that if you obey God and if you receive God's promises, you have a testimony that will go on and continue to speak long after you have departed the scene? Faith is a substance of things hoped for, 
Faith is a substance, and it is a substance of the things that we hope for, that God has promised. It is, faith is the substance of God's promises. We either receive it, we receive the promise, or we don't. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things that were not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Noah was warned by God, a flood's coming. Whether a dream or a vision, somehow God warned him. And even though everyone laughed at him for a hundred years as he was building this boat, which no one had ever needed a boat because there was no, no rivers and no lakes and never even rained, Noah built the boat by faith and saved his family because he believed the promise and he wanted to receive what God was going to give him. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as his inheritance. You know what's interesting in this whole story about Abraham? (laughs) God said, Abraham, I want you to leave your family and come to the place I will show you. Does Abraham obey him? Well, not exactly. Abraham took his family with him. He was kind of of, sort of obedient, but not really. (laughs) He didn't have that much faith. He didn't think he could make it without his family, so he took his family with him. Even though the Lord said, leave your family there, he took his family. But still, he ends up in the Hall of Fame of Faith. Abraham obeyed. (laughs) By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. By faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive a child. And she bore a child when she was past the age. By faith. When God told Sarah she was going to have a child, Sarah laughed at God and mocked him and ridiculed him and said, I'm too old. I'm going to have a child. Ain't no way I'm having a child. Sarah was not exactly fully, completely sold on this dream of having a child when she was like 90 years old. But she did it anyway. She was reluctant. She had fears. She had concerns. But she received God's promise. And she is in the Hall of Fame of Faith. All of these died not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were assured of them. They embraced them and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims here on earth. For those who say such things declare plainly as they speak, as they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had, uh, had called to mind that country from which they had come out, uh, they would have had opportunity to return. So they could have gone back. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them, a city whose builder and maker is God. So, you know, when you just look through the Bible and you see all the people, David, and, and look, David and Moses... People say, you know, God probably doesn't want me, like me. God doesn't care for me because I've done some really bad things in my life. I've disappointed people. I've ruined lives. I've, I've ruined people's lives. I've been addicted to drugs and alcohol. Maybe I've killed somebody. Been in jail for murder. Look, Moses was a murderer. 
but God used him. David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had Bathsheba's husband killed. David was not a perfect man. He was a violent and temporal, uh, temperamental person, but God knew his heart and God used David powerfully. The Apostle Paul was having Christians imprisoned and killed until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. God will use violent, angry sinners. I'm a witness. I was a violent, angry sinner until that day that I met Jesus at the fire station. And from then on, everything changed. And once I decided to accept his promise and I stepped out in faith and quit my job as a paramedic and decided to work full-time as an author, I have been, I literally feel like I'm the most blessed man on earth because I get to do something I love doing, which is writing. But I needed someone, my wife, to speak to me and say, look, it looks to me like you enjoy writing. Why don't you consider doing it full-time? You can make money at it. And here's the thing. If you pursue your divine destiny, here's, here's, here's where it's going. If you are willing to step out and pursue God's destiny for you, if you're using, willing to use your gifts and your talents and your abilities, the resources of heaven are going to follow you and God will prosper you financially. <laughs> you will make a living doing it. I guarantee it. Because if you're using your divine talent, your gifts and your abilities, people are going to see it. That's what happens when you are following your divine destiny. All of heaven is following with you to bring you favor, to bring you success, because God wants you to succeed in your destiny. He planned it out that way. He called you. He anointed you. He, he destined you to do this. And if you do it, if you're faithful, he's going to make you successful. You just have to step out and be willing to do it. And stop listening to the lies and stop procrastinating and stop saying, oh, you know, I got to keep doing this job because it pays the bills. I'll never make money doing what I really love doing. Try it. Step out. And look, if you don't care about the money, that's great. That's fine. You know, money is a tool. Money is like having uh, oil. You can do things with oil. You can cook with it. You can use it in your engine to drive down the road. Money is a tool. If you fall in love with money, that's a problem. But if you don't have a love of money, as Jesus said, it is the love of money that is the root of all evil. Not money itself. It's the love of the perverted need for money. That's the root of all evil. Uh, but, you know... Money, it's not all about money. It's about your destiny. It is about doing what God has called you to do. And God does love you, and he cares about you. And you are his favorite, whether you know it or not. He is crazy about you. And he talks about you all the time. And he has a million things he wants to tell you about, and he wants to share with you. You just need to pursue him and start listening. And trust that what he tells you, believe that you're hearing his voice and take, take a step in faith 
and step out and believe that he does want you to succeed in the thing that is the passion of your heart. Got to get going. Love you all. Keep the president in prayer. Keep Q and the team in prayer. Keep Denise and I in prayer. And I'll catch you on the next broadcast.